0: Give your Bibles. Turn to Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Dealing with bitterness is our topic again tonight. And like I said, we will not finish with that topic tonight. Just using one verse of the story of Joseph for a text tonight. Most of you know the story. Joseph is speaking to his brothers. And in Genesis chapter 50, verse 1, he says this to them. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. We introduced this last week with the same thought I'm going to share tonight. In fact, if you were here in Sunday school, Paul said to Timothy and to us, all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Paul also said that in the latter days, perilous times are coming. Difficult, hard times. We live in a dangerous world. And whenever tragedy happens, Pam mentioned Joe and Julie Childers being in Turkey and what happened there with the earthquake or anywhere else for that matter. We hear and we ask ourselves the what, the why, and the where. What does it mean Why did, whatever it is, why did that happen? And probably more particularly, why did it happen to me? And then a lot of folk would ask where, where is God in all of this? Probably the most difficult question is the why question. We read of tragedies almost every week, mass murders, earthquakes, some kind of disaster. Somehow we know deep down inside things like that should not happen, but they do. And when it becomes personal, when it knocks on our door, We often want to know the why, and yet we also realize, chances are, in this life, we may never, ever know the why. And I want to say early on tonight, when those things happen in our lives, we have to leave it in the hands and the heart of God. And I'm not sure which preacher years ago had said it. But it's good advice. Whenever we don't see the hand of God, trust the heart of God. We can always trust the heart of God. And we ask, Lord, where are you in all of this? And the problem is, even as Christians... I'm convinced that Satan wants us to come to a place in our lives where we doubt God. Lord, couldn't you you not have prevented this? And we know he could have. So where are you in all of this? Now by the way, if we are going to rise above these things in our life, in our world, we have to Have the right perspective. And that doesn't come automatically. And we need to address those questions in a way that allows us to come up with a rational answer. A rational answer. And I want to say it, I said it last week, and I'll continue to preach this, That's why it has to come through a Christian world view. We have got to learn to see things through the lens of the Word of God. That is so, so vital. (laughs) How many know that God controls the affairs of this world? Each and every one of them. And in every moment, in every event in history, God instills meaning and purpose. There is a reason. And we understand that it's only through that perspective that we can even begin to find meaning when we hurt. God is in control. Again, we talked about that this morning. The world we live in is not a safe place. Thank God for his word. Because through his word, through his spirit, he speaks to us. So not only can we find meaning, but we find salvation. We can find relief from this world. Jesus said, in this world, you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Why? Jesus said, I've overcome I know I mentioned my dad often. I'm still praying for him. And by the way, thank you for praying for him. He is out of the hospital. I haven't talked to him yet. But pray for his soul. It's amazing to me what he thinks he knows about God. Everything that goes bad is God's fault from his perspective. And I can understand that. He's not a Christian. I mean, if he reads the Bible, it's to find fault somewhere or to debate but I want you, I believe tonight that a lot of Christians go wrong with how to deal with tragedy because of bad theology. Now, folks, don't, you know, I say it all the time, but wrong theology, bad theology always results in wrong living. And the problem that we struggle with, and I think all of us have at one time, We try to build God the way we want Him. Now, I've not done it. I've only heard a little bit about it. I understand you can go to a mall and build a bear. Is that right? Uh, people want to build a God. And as long as God acts and does at the parameters of what you want, He's fine. And I want you to know we serve a God we cannot put in a box. It simply will not work. So when it comes to the deepest questions in life, if your theology is bad, you'll not find the answer. Or at least one that's rational and satisfactory. Because the only way to find the answer to the deepest questions of life, you have to have good theology. You have to understand who God is. And folks, even Christians are guilty. They don't want a God. They want a Santa Claus. Somebody say amen. They don't want a God. They want a papaw in the sky. Someone that will help them whatever they need and make them happy in life. So, good theology begins with understanding who God is. But it also, good theology involves a good understanding who we are. And, friend, we are not God, we don't have all the answers. We'll be referring to Job in a few minutes tonight. But if you read the entire book of Job, there's an indication that Job thought he knew most of the answers until he came face-to-face with God. And Job says at the end of the book, I've said too much. I have said too much. So we have to understand who God is. We have to understand who we are. And we have to understand how God works in our world. And all of that is what good theology is. That's what good theology is all about. And when we understand who God is, we understand who we are, and we begin to understand how God works in our world, that will give us a framework On how we respond when tragedy hits our lives. How many know there's a lot more going on in our world than we ever see? How many know there's a spiritual battle going on that we don't see? But it's as real as any other battle in this world. And no matter how much we think we understand, no matter how much we think we know, there's so much more we don't understand. Because we have limited vision. Seeing things that God, that we cannot see, only God sees. Now again, we try to conjure up a God that we like. And so, we don't want to believe this, but the fact of the matter is this. Whether we like it or not, oftentimes God will use adversity. He will use mistreatment to bring us where he wants us to be in our walk with him. He is God. And trust me, no matter how much you think you see, it's far less than what God sees. No no matter how much we think we know, it's far less than what God knows. And the good, the good that might come from the mistreatment of others is often not planned by the hand of man. They want not hurt you. Often not seen in advance. And the only way to see that good is through the eye of faith. Beginning with good theology about who God is, who we are, and how God works in our world. Make no mistake about it, God is always at work. He never slumbers, and He never sleeps. He's working when we don't see Him work. God is involved when we think nothing is happening. And oftentimes, the end result, which sometimes is not seen till years later, the end result will come and the time will come and we'll say, you know what? It had to happen that way. We'll see it as something God allowed in our lives to promote our good and His glory and we look back and we realize it had to happen that way. Enter Joseph. Think about this. I can't imagine. Here's a man, a young boy. Around the age of 17 years old, he had a dream. It wasn't a nightmare. and wasn't because he ate too much pizza. It was from God, and Joseph knew it. He dreamed that one day his brothers, his mother, and father would bow down to him in obeisance. Now, we went through the whole detail last week. We won't do it again, but how many know the brothers didn't like him to begin with? He was uh, Jacob's favored son. Jacob showed it, and they hated it. So they envied him. And when he told them their dream, that didn't help. The Bible says they envied him him all the more. But it doesn't change the fact of the dream God gave him. Now, by the way, I mentioned this last week, and I always do, Joseph is probably one of my favorite characters in the Bible. And although he certainly was a type of Christ in a lot of ways, he was still human, wouldn't you agree? He had emotions and feelings. He had hurts, like anyone else. And I have, I have to wonder, what did Joseph think? And I, I, for some reason, I believe, in my heart, and I know it doesn't make it right, This necessarily, but I, from what I read in the Scripture, Joseph believed those dreams. He believed that God would keep his promise. So I, I have to say... I don't think Joseph expected that one day his brother would try to kill him. I don't think he thought one of these days I'll be sold into Egypt, into slavery. Certain, you know, he wouldn't have ever dreamed that God would work that way. But I think we have to agree there came a time in Joseph's life, and I don't know where it's at in that story, Okay. Again, we mentioned last week, if you take the uh, from the time he was 17 years old to the time he was uh promoted at 30 years of age and a couple of years of famine had already gone by by the time his brothers come, about 15 years had gone by. But somewhere in that 15-year period, Joseph looked back on his life and he said, you know what? I didn't like all of it, but it had to be this way. It had to be this way let's go back to chapter 45 we read this verse last week what Joseph says and Joseph said unto his brethren I am Joseph does my father yet live and his brethren could not answer him for they were troubled at his presence. Now let me bring you up to snuff here a little bit, just so you know. Joseph had put them through a test to see if they had changed their attitude. And in the previous verse, before this, in the chapter before this, <clears throat> one of Jacob's sons, Judah, gives a compelling, a compelling plea. To not keep Benjamin. (laughs) And Joseph realized. They're changing. And he couldn't take it anymore. And he commands everybody. That were there to serve Joseph. To minister to him. To leave. The room. Can't imagine what those boys thought, those brothers. Can't imagine. But I think it's fair to, we would at least assume, or at least agree, if anyone had a right to be bitter, Joseph did. If you have a right. Notice again in verse 4. I am Joseph, your brother. Whom ye sold into Egypt? Now, again, not being there, don't know for sure. But when Joseph said in verse three, "I am Yosef. I kind of think I think it can't be. Surely not. He looked like an Egyptian. He's been talking through an interpreter, but not now. He says, I am Joseph, because your father yet lives. But somehow they knew, and they trembled. But in verse 4, he takes it a little bit farther. I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Would you agree the best-kept secret? Among those brothers. Only they knew. Only Joseph knew. And only God knew. I am Joseph. Whom you. sold Into Egypt. If I'm Simeon. Reuben. Judah. I don't know if I can name them all or not. You know what's crossing my mind? It's curtains. Lights out. I am Joseph, whom you sold in Egypt. By the way, did they know they did that? Absolutely. And we also know, if you read the story, you remember, it was bothering them at this time because they thought all this thing was happening because of what we did to our brother. They didn't know it was Joseph that was dealing with them, but they still felt this was God paying them back punishing them for what they had done to Joseph some 15 or whatever years earlier. But verse 8 is the, the key here. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. Don't miss that. And that's why I said earlier there's a time in Joseph's life He came to a point, and he looked over what was going on, what had happened, and Joseph realized it had to be that way. It had to be. And what Joseph says in verse 8, without a doubt, is a clear statement on God's providential control. I would hope you would agree, but Joseph understood who God was. He understood that God was in control. Joseph said to his brothers, God sent me ahead of you. It wasn't you who sent me here. It was God and he had a reason for it, for your good, for my good, and for his glory. Make no mistake about it. Joseph knew exactly what they had done to him. He knew why they did what they did to him. And he also realizes as they're standing there before him, their knees are knocking. They are terrified. And he realizes that now everything is becoming clear to them. I think their minds are spinning, don't you? They remember the dream. They remember that God said, that Joseph said he had a dream, and one day we'd all bow down to him, and they'd already done it three or four times. And now it's all clicking and Joseph realizes, as they, as they begin to realize it, and they begin to put in all the pieces together, Joseph realizes, terror and distress, you're going to strike your heart. And it does. So Joseph says, look, I know that. And I know how you're feeling right now. But Joseph said, you need to understand something. It wasn't you who sent me here. It was God who sent me In Genesis chapter 41, back up a little bit, we can, we see an example of God at work in Joseph's life. Genesis 1, verses, I'm, I'm sorry, 41, verses 51 through 52. And Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh. For God, he said, hath made me forget all the toil in all my father's house. And the name of the second called he Ephraim. For God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Do you see how God had been at work in Joseph's life? Before those brothers came to buy food, to buy grain, Joseph had two sons. Now, by the way, we recognize the name Manasseh and Ephraim. They would become the two largest tribes of Israel. And they would replace, if you will, Joseph in the 12 tribes. They would now make up the 12 tribes of Israel. And so when his boys are born, the oldest being Manasseh, and for somehow, Joseph realized, and folks, God works this way. All of a sudden, it was a time that Joseph realized, you know what? God has caused me to forget the misery. He has caused me to forget the misery I felt all those years of being separated from my family. So he says, you know what? I'm going to name my first boy. Manasseh. And by the way, the word Manessa means forget. Forget. But he also realized now hear me. Notice how God's works. He was sold into slavery. If you will, may I say, it was to be a land of affliction. But what did God do to him while he was there? He blessed him. And Joseph realized, not only has God helped me to forget the heartache I went through, he's also allowed me to become fruitful in the land of Egypt, in a land that was supposed to be a land of affliction for me. So he named the firstborn son Manasseh, and he named the secondborn son Ephraim. And the word Ephraim means fruitful. Amen. Let me throw something in here tonight. Why do we work so hard remembering things we ought to forget? Amen. So, is that true? There are some things we just need to forget. I've had people tell me through the years, Well, Pastor, you don't know what I went through. I can forgive, but I can never forget. Don't tell me that. God can cause you. Now, again, Joseph didn't forget the event. He forgot the pain. There's a big difference there. Now, remember, there was absolutely no doubt, and Joseph confesses it there. God had removed the hurt. God had removed the anguish from the heart of Joseph. But Joseph hadn't forgotten what they had done. He knew what they did. And Joseph knew what they did. And he knew why they did what they did. They wanted to hurt Joseph. But at the same time, Joseph also realized and he knew That God allowed that to happen so that He would end up being ruler in Egypt. Nothing happens to us that doesn't happen first and pass through the fingers of God. And I say, what's interesting? How many know that God allowed what happened to Joseph to to come to fruition at the exact moment when they needed him but don't miss that at the exact moment they needed joseph he was going to be there to save him now remember if we're ever going to ask the what where and why question when it comes to serving god We have to have good theology. We must understand who God is. And Joseph came to a time in his life. He understood who God was. And Joseph had uh, such a, a great vision of God. How great God was that it dwarfed all the things his brother had done to him. I know what you did. I know why you did it. But my God is greater than my pain. He's greater than what you did. And I'm here not because of you. Because of God. Last Sunday evening, Brother Marvin and, I, Marvin and I talked a little while about that, and we both agreed that God would have gotten there no matter what. I mean, He would have worked things out, but He used that evil. His brothers did. Now, by the way, until our vision of God becomes great enough, we will never be able to overcome. Never. We must have a right vision of God. Now think about this. Man, I told you we'd done earlier tonight, didn't I? I didn't mean to lie to you. I'm only on page four. And I got eight pages. Quit laughing, Wayne. So, so how, how does God involve himself with evildoers? Now think about that. Look at verse 5 again, verse chapter 45. Now therefore be not grieved or angry with yourselves that you sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. My prayer tonight, Lord, give me that kind of a vision of God. May my God be that big. May my vision of God be that clear. Joseph knew what they had done. He knew why they did it. And yet he also realized that what they had done to him many years earlier put him in the right place. At the right time to preserve life. And don't you know, Joseph said, in his heart probably, it had to be this way. Well, I'm going to keep my promise. We can pick it up here next week. But I want you to know something tonight, folks. Our God is in control. He's bigger than any problem we may face, and he can heal any hurt in our lives. And I'm personally convinced that's the reason why Joseph did not become bitter toward his brothers. Let's stand together. Father, we're grateful tonight for your word. You've been so good to us. And I pray, Father, that we will see you as you really are, the great God, the only God, who controls every moment of our lives. Help us, Lord, to find our shelter in you. And when life hurts, teach us to run to you. And Father, I pray tonight for all of God's people, but especially those who are hurting tonight, Father, for those who are on the border of becoming bitter. Lord, speak to their hearts tonight. Speak peace in their lives. In Jesus' name I pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.